Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu slash business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Economists since the great Adam Smith have demonstrated how free markets empower everyone to pursue their self-interest and also yet manage to coordinate economic activity and yield unrivaled prosperity. Estimates of GDP per capita over the long span of history demonstrate an enormous takeoff of living standards beginning around 1700 in England and Holland and after 1800 across the globe. As a free market economist, I'm inclined to attribute the great enrichment to the freeing of economies. But can we show this more rigorously? To do so, we need a measure of how closely nations approximate the ideal of a free market. Joining me on eConversations today is one of the leading experts in measuring economic freedom, Dr. Robert Lawson. Dr. Lawson is one of the co-authors of the Economic Freedom of the World Index, published by Canada's Fraser Institute. He holds the Jerome Fullwinder Centennial Chair of Economic Freedom at Southern Methodist University, where he also directs the Bridwell Institute for Economic Freedom. He studied economics at Ohio University before getting a PhD from Florida State. Before going to SMU, Dr. Lawson taught at Capital University in Ohio and nearby Auburn University. In addition to authoring the annual index, Freedom Index, Dr. Lawson has written dozens of academic papers. In addition to discussing the how and why to measure economic freedom, we'll also be talking today about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected economic freedom worldwide. Spoiler alert there, the news isn't good. Welcome back to eConversations, Bob. Hi, Dan, thanks for having me on the show. So let, let's get started here by talking about, uh, well, first off, you know, tell us what do we mean, you know, what, what do economists really mean by the idea of economic freedom and before we get into trying to measure it. Well, economic freedom goes by a lot of different names. In Adam Smith's day, uh, he called it a system of natural liberty. And then sometimes people called it laissez-faire, free markets, free enterprise, private enterprise. There are a lot of, of terms of art that, uh, that we use the term economic freedom in our research. Uh, and what it basically means is a, an economic system based on private property, the, the, in the means of production, the, mm -hmm. the, the factories, the farms, the businesses are owned by private individuals or groups of individuals, as the case of like, corporations. And uh, they interact in, in, in markets. They buy and sell with each other. They hire and fire if it's workers. They invest through banks. Um, and that system is free in the, in the sense that people are, are allowed a great deal of latitude in, in how they make those dealings, what prices they charge, who they hire, what products they make, what color they paint their, mm -hmm. their cars, if they're making cars, all of that gets left to the individuals to decide. And it stands in contrast to a system that's more top down, that you could organize your system with a sort of bureaucracy that decided right. 
uh, what we got, what what got made, and how it got made, and how we engaged in things. It's a very bottom-up kind of approach. Uh, economic freedom is. And your index doesn't try to measure political freedom because if you talk about some of the top uh, most free countries, some people will notice that there are, there are some countries in there that aren't democracies. But you're measuring economic freedom as opposed to political freedom. Yeah, I mean, I should say that I think political freedom is really important. I mean, you and I are using elements of our political freedom right now right. by talking on this show. Uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, freedom to vote and organize politically. These are all very important, and I'm in favor of them. But there, there were already indexes out there that were measuring democracy mm -hmm. and different types of political freedoms. And when we started this project some 30 years ago, uh, we, we, we didn't think anyone was measuring economic freedom. Like, could people buy and sell, hire and fire, invest freely? That kind of freedom, the more, maybe, maybe they're more mundane freedoms, but those types of freedoms we didn't think were getting uh, adequate attention from the, from the index world, you know, the measurement world. And for an economic standpoint, is this is really important because when you know all of these statements that we uh, we as economists, especially free market economists, would like to make about how markets are so great, they are testable uh, hypotheses. They, they are statements of of how the world is supposedly working, and we we should be able to test them. We should be able to show whether or not markets actually deliver a, a higher standard of living. But in order to do that, we have to be able to measure measure what we're talking about, right? Absolutely. I mean, there is a vibrant theoretical debate about whether free market capitalism works or whether maybe socialism, a top down government controlled system works. And that theoretical debate has been going on for, you know, well over 100 years to an almost 200 years. Um, but at the end of the day, it's an empirical question. I mean, we should be able to go out and gather data, look at systems, economic economies. And those economies, if, if economic freedom works, as I think it works, and I think you think it works, we should be able to see that countries and places that use economic freedom or, or leave more freedom for their people, that those places perform better economically. And that's, a, that's an empirically testable hypothesis. We should be able to go get the data and apply the standard methods of, of social science to evaluate whether or not uh, freedom works or not. Well, uh, let's start to get into some of the nuts and bolts there. So we have this great idea. We know what we're trying to measure, but then it gets pretty uh, complicated. The real, the, the real work is into trying to, uh, how do we measure this? And so tell us a little bit about how you do that. So what I do with my team of co-authors is we, ga we gather data. It's a data ga gathering exercise. So we have, in our index now, we have 42 variables uh, spread across five areas. I think you know the five areas. It's size of government, property rights, monetary systems, free trade and regulation. And, and we have 165 countries and we have data back to 1970 in the current index. So we gather data on tax rates and, and economic freedom means taxes should be relatively low, not zero, mm -hmm. but relatively low. And so countries with really large government spending and government taxes get lower ratings uh, property rights should be private and courts should work to settle contract disputes. Uh, we should have a system, a monetary system that's that's stable. Uh, mm -hmm. That is to say, we don't worry about inflation acting like a tax on our on our assets. And we should have we should be free not just not only to trade with each other in our own country, but we should be free. Economic freedom means the freedom to trade with people in other countries. So international trade's a, a large component. And then also, you know, you know, governments regulate. So we have measures of different types of regulations, like how long it takes to start a business or how bad the minimum wage is, which is a labor market regulation. 
So we kind of push all these 42 numbers into the computer and we, we do, we, we use an advanced branch of mathematics called arithmetic <laughs> to, um, to convert all these to zero to tens and tens are sort of more economic freedom, zeros less. And we get, we, we get scores for every country or well, 165 countries in the mm-hmm. world with data for many of them back into the sevens. So let's uh, start with the talk a little bit about some of the numbers. Uh, where, where does the United States rank this year? And, and I want to just mention the viewers, uh, the, your most recent, uh, I guess, 2022 edition uh, came out a couple months ago. And, and so we're talking about relatively recent uh, results that, you, that you've come out with, although you've, it's updated every year. Yeah. Yeah. So we just released our latest report uh, yeah, just a few weeks ago. Uh, I should mention it's for 2020 data. Mm-hmm. So we're always about two years behind in our release. It takes a lot of time to get the numbers uh, to us and us to publish. Uh, so uh, the U.S. is ranked sixth in the most recent report, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's uh, and but the one of the big news is that the U.S. scores have been trending somewhat downward since around 2000. We sort of went up. You know, if you if you think about the 70s when we had hyperinflation and wage and price controls and borderline industrial planning in some areas, uh, then we went into the Reagan era and the Clinton era and taxes went down. Trade got much freer. We privatized, uh, you know, a lot of things. And so the U.S. score got better through the 80s and 90s. And then in 2000, it's begun kind of drifting downward. So we were third for most of the period in history, in our study. We were uh, always third behind Hong Kong and Singapore. And then we were, it was the U.S. But starting around 2000, we began to, to decline a little bit. Um, so, so the U.S. is uh, still a very economically free country. It's mm. arguably not as economically free as it was maybe a couple decades ago. But relative to the rest of the world, you know, there's a, there's a lot more countries further down the list than ahead what? of us on the list. And, and so then let's, uh, you know, we've talked about whether uh, we can actually tie economic freedom to income, but, you know, what are some of the results showing, like, and is it just income? Is it just money that, uh, do we just end up with more money or, or are there, do we other also get some of the other good things in life when uh, nations are freer? Well, we do get money. Uh, it's, it's abundantly clear from simple correlations, and I now have well over 150 studies in my hard drive here, academic peer reviewed journal article type studies that look at income or growth. And it's abundantly clear from these studies, uh, overwhelming evidence that countries that are more economically free or become more economically free, uh, they grow more rapidly and ultimately over time develop higher incomes. You know, Adam Smith was right in the wealth of nations when he said the wealth, the wealth of nations would be higher if you had his system of natural liberty as he described it. Um, but it's not just growth and in income. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of studies. Over the last summer, I read uh, something like 1,300 studies. <laughs> 700 of them were empirical studies that I was able to summarize. And I mean, it's everything from the likelihood of civil war to infant mortality and poverty, uh, literacy rates, uh, gender equality. There's a whole host of things. And the punchline from all of that research is, and again, hundreds of studies now, is that countries that are more economically free perform better pretty much across the board. It's not just on the narrow economic variables like growth and income. Um, there's almost no negative uh, uh, consequences. There is some debate on some things. So income inequality is debatable. There are some studies saying 
inequality gets worse with more economic freedom. There are other studies saying it gets better. And so I think the answer is still up in the air uh, as a matter of social science. But overwhelmingly, the evidence is pretty strong. Economic freedom seems to deliver the goods. But one of the things I find really fascinating and I think really important about oh, the work that your analysis on economic inequality is that how much better off the, the poorest people are in, in the, the economically free countries compared to other countries. And so when you're talking about inequality, it might be like relative inequality, but absolutely by, by and it's, it's not even like close. The, the, if you're gonna be in the poor, bottom 10% of the income distribution in a country, you'd much rather be in a, a free country than in an unfree country. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things that I do every year is I do a chart that shows the income of the lowest 10% of the population. And it's it's about 10 times greater in the more economically free countries than in the less economically free, free countries. I even have an academic paper doing this now, too. Uh, it's across the board. Economic freedom delivers more income to, yeah, rich people. Uh, rich people get richer. Uh, but I uh, guess what? Poor people get richer, too, mm -hmm. uh, in more economically free systems. Um, it's It's quite clear. The inequality thing uh, is, is, again, a debated question, but if you just look at the level of income uh, going to the lowest of the low or the poorest of the poor, uh, economic freedom still seems to deliver the goods for them as well. It's definitely one of those cases of the rising tide lifting all the boats, and, and everybody's absolutely uh, better off, it, it certainly seems. Now, when we get into trying to, you know, when we as economists really want to try to break down, it's very clear that the freest countries are also prosperous, and prosperous countries are also have a high degree of, of economic freedom. Now, the, from an economic research standpoint, there's a really important question there trying to determine, well, are we really sure that it's freedom causing uh, prosperity, or is it the other way? And this would be relevant because if we try to go to poor country that wasn't free and, and we wanted to give them advice and said well free your markets and, and then you'll you'll become more uh, rich i mean if the uh, causality is the other way there then it's really they've got to get rich first and then they would have so, some more freedom so talk a little bit because this is like a, a really uh, it, it, this is a really technical issue but it's, it's one that's important for us as as economists to be able to you know be sure or, or be more confident of of the advice we are giving well, you really hit the nail on the head there. I mean, the, the greatest question is, does A cause B? Because, uh, you know, just because A and B are correlated doesn't mean that, that A causes B. Maybe B causes A and we have reverse causality. Maybe the, maybe C, some third right. thing, is causing both A and B. And and disentangling this in a messy world with uh, of, of social science is hard. We have a lot of ways, you know, economists, we call this the identification problem. You're trying to mm -hmm. identify uh, the relationship and... We have various ways of trying to do it. They all have, right. you know, advantages and disadvantages. You know, you and I are really, we, we were trained in the era of, of running regressions. We gathered a lot of data, and, and there's still a lot of that going on. Pe you know, people will run studies today with 130 countries over five decades. And, and if you find that, guess what, over 130 or 130 countries over five decades, and you find that there's a really strong relationship between economic freedom and and income and growth, it's probably there. And then if you see people do a, 150 studies right. differently, mm -hmm. different samples, different methods, different control variables and all that, and they all get the same answer, then you really start to conclude, and everyone's trying to identify it in different ways. That's one way. There's another way, you know, you could try like, which came first, right. um, you know, Granger won a Nobel Prize for, for this kind of argument. It's like, well, you know, if A causes B, then typically, you know, A comes before B. So you can look at 
do countries that liberalize, say, last decade, do they grow more rapidly next decade and things right. like that? That's one way to identify the causality. It'd be hard to argue that like growth next decade is causing reforms right. this decade, right? So looking at what came first is another method, and those studies are all saying the same thing. Economic freedom seems to cause income and growth. And then more recently, there's a bunch of studies that are trying to do essentially like controlled experiments. And we, mm -hmm. don't, we don't have the ability in, with this kind of world to do controlled experiments, but you can, uh, I'm a big fan of the work of Robin and, and Kevin Greer at Texas Tech University. They, they've been looking at countries that went up on the Economic Freedom Index, and they try to compare those countries to a control country um, uh, countries that look like them and, you know, and the countries that, that went up in economic freedom seem to grow a lot more rapidly and get richer over time than their controls. And that's a little bit closer to the, like the, the gold standard, the gold standard in like medical research is you, you split, you know, you split your patients in half and you give half of them a drug, the other half doesn't get the drug. And that's how you tell if the drug works. Well, we're, we're starting to do that in economics. And those those studies are also showing that economic mm -hmm. freedom is, is strongly predictive of, of, of growth and income. One of the great things I think uh, that, that the Economic Freedom Index now allows us to, to talk about is uh, we can look at the countries in Scandinavia that for years, especially like when I was back in college and, and people were always touting them as these great examples of, of socialist countries and, and how you know, the, uh, showing that socialism works. But with your index, you, you can get a really more, you know, we can go beyond what we used to do. As, as economists, we used to use maybe like government spending as a percentage of GDP. Yeah as a proxy for our economic freedom. But as you said, you've got four components of the four areas of the index that go beyond that, the size of government. And, and it really shed some light on the, uh, the, the nature of the, the Scandinavian countries and whether they, they truly represent uh, socialism or not. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that uh, you know, I've learned, in fact, my, my mentor, Jim Gortney, uh, you know, says the same thing, he says, you know, we've learned from this index that economic freedom is not just about government spending. Right. I think government spending is a part of it. I mean, if governments take 100% of your money, you're not very economically free. If they take half of it, you're still not very economically free. But uh, governments, um, you know, inter interfere in our, our economic lives in much more, many more ways than just taxing us. They regulate us, they control the money supply, which, is a, which, is a, which can create inflation type taxation. Um, they, 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 they can interfere in our property rights. They can nationalize our, our businesses mm -hmm. uh, and, and they can regulate our businesses. So, so I think a proper understanding of, of economic freedom means we need to go beyond spending. And if you look at Scandinavia uh, or, or Nordic, uh, the Nordic countries in general, they, uh, you know, they do spend a lot. They're among the biggest spending countries in the world. The governments are huge. They don't give their citizens a lot of freedom to spend their paychecks the way that citizens might like. But they have really good court systems. Swedish farms are owned by states. Uh, they uh, they don't have problems with inflation. They don't. In fact, regulatory systems in Northern Europe are probably more free than in the United States. Mm -hmm. I think a United States businessman worries about regulatory agencies more than a typical Swedish or Norwegian uh, businessman would. And so, uh, so when we look at the data, yeah, they get they get dinged. If you want to use that term for. Uh, for high spending, high taxes, but in the other areas, 80% of our index, uh, they score, you know, near the top, and right. at the end of the day, they end up being in the sort of upper quarter of our index. They're market economies. <laughs> um, their taxes are higher than ours. Right. 
that's about it. It's just, it, I think this is a surprising result. I think, uh, you know, it's inaccurate to call Denmark and Sweden and, and Norway socialist countries. They're just simply not. Yeah, they have quite a bit, you know, again, other than the one component of the index, they, they are quite free market. Yeah. They, are, they are right up near the top on the average of, of the rest of the thing. So they're not employing like state-owned enterprises and, and extensive control right. over the economy. It's, it's really like a market economy and then they have a lot of government, you know, they, they, they fund a lot of government using, yeah. using that wealth generated from the market. So, right. so you want to talk a little bit yeah, about- I should, I should. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, in the old days, Sweden was a free market. I mean, it, they got rich first. Right. <laughs> it was only after they got rich that they decided to raise their taxes uh, and spend so much. So, um, so we want to talk a little bit. I want to talk a little bit now about how the the COVID pandemic and the government policies to uh, um, combat the pandemic have affected economic freedom. Because you mentioned the uh, U.S. score, and for 2022, using the data as you said through uh, 2020. The U.S. score dipped quite a bit, and that and the U.S. wasn't the only country uh, that, that that saw a pretty significant drop in economic freedom, was that? No. It, so we just released the 2020 numbers, as I mentioned, and and those are the first year, major year of COVID, of course. And I think every country except four uh, went down in the index, and some of them went down quite quite significantly. Uh, the U.S. is among them. We went down about average. I think we went down, you know, 0.16 points on our index, and that was about the average decline. But that was a big decline. It was about three times larger than the decline we saw during the financial crisis. Um, there's nothing in the index, though, that measures public health policy. We didn't mm -hmm. change the index to accommodate COVID. So, but we do measure things like government spending, and you mm -hmm. know, how did government react in the United States and in much of the world to COVID. They threw a lot of money at the problem. You know, we were almost dropping money out of helicopters for, for a while there. Um, and, uh, you know, every three days, it seemed like we were getting a new stimulus check, right? So right. so that, that was a big part of it, but we also regulated. Uh, you know, we regulated time and place for businesses and and, and we tra and travel restrictions, which is an element right. of our index. So without making any adjustments, we saw just a really significant decline um, we, you know, in the global average uh, context, we lost about a decade's worth of economic liberalization in mm -hmm. 2020. Uh, so, you know, economic liberalization is hard. It's hard to convince people to lower taxes and regulate less. And it's a slow and kind of plodding process. And we had a decade's worth of, pro of, of improvement and it just woof, <laughs> went away. I'm hoping it's transitory. Right. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, we'll find out next year and the year after when we when we do the new numbers, uh, but it was definitely uh, I've described it as a bloodbath uh, a couple of times. It's not, mm -hmm. We've seen nothing like this before in our index. And you know, like you said, it was uh, widely across the the, the globe, and not just uh, concentrating in the United States or, or Europe. It, it, many most countries, I think you said, all but a couple saw a d decline and oh. in, in, in pretty significant. You know, again. Uh, it's hard to know what these numbers are like, but as you say, it's a decade's worth of progress uh, wiped out in, in one year. And yeah, so, I should say I don't think it's necessarily bad that we did these policies. I mean, that's a public right. health question. Maybe we might have saved a million lives, I, or ten million. I don't have no idea, but we definitely became less free in 2020, and that's the point that we're trying to measure. Yeah, well, it, 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 you know, there are a lot of economists trying to estimate the right now. They, they estimate how effective, yeah. if, if at all, the uh, the 
various policies we enacted to try to uh, uh, combat COVID. Uh, one of the things you want to mention, because you know, as you said, that you, you use data that's two years old, um, the inflation that we've experienced, which you could argue, I, I think, is, is pretty clearly a, a, also a, pro, uh, a consequence of our COVID policies. The, that inflation isn't showing up yet in, in, in your index because you know it's inflation's been with us for a while now. It seems like a very long time, but it's only been like a little about perhaps a year and a half or so that uh, in, inflation took off. So back in 2020, we hadn't seen the inflation yet, had we? That's right. So we are seeing, we do have some monetary uh, numbers in our index and they, we're seeing, even in 2020, we're seeing the leading edge of that. You know, the Fed's balance sheet went up by like $5 trillion something. So we're seeing some of it at the beginning, but we haven't seen the price inflation yet. And that that is in the index as well. And I don't think even in 21, we really don't see that till the sort of end of 21. Mm -hmm. uh, so it might be another year or two years before that happens. So I think by the time we get to 22, you know, the year we're in, the spending splurge is mostly abated. We've gone right. back to sort of normal spending levels. Uh, but the inflation is going to come on, on, you know, come second. So the index is not going to rebound, uh, you know, back to where it was very quickly. I think we, we need to get through not only the spending binge, but also now we need to get through the, the inflation, which, you know, that is a direct result of the COVID policy. I mean, the Federal Reserve, you know, just created money like crazy. And we're seeing that inflation. So uh, that may take a year or two, three years to right. to wash its way through the system and, you know, we're going to see these. We're going to see this index, you know, went down very quickly, and it's going to climb very slowly. Right, and you know, and that's uh, again another thing worldwide. If you go, it's well, we're old enough. We can probably remember that inflation from the 1970s. But you know, now, across the world, the nations made great progress combating inflation. Inflation was high almost everywhere in the 1970s and into the 1980s. And it wasn't just in the United States, but I mean, countries across the, the globe, you know, places yeah. like Mexico and, and, and Italy, like yeah. uh, it, it was a, a worldwide, uh, to large extent, victory over inflation. And, and that's been reversed, unfortunately, in a big way. And, and you know, the, the sound money is a very important element of, uh, of uh, free markets, right? Indeed, I, I think in, in 2019, there were only two countries that had double digit inflation. And I just saw a list yesterday, literally yesterday, where I think I saw 30 countries that are double digit already. Um, so no, and, and you, it, it's the quickest way to ruin an economy is to have monetary instability. Um, you know, you simply cannot plan, you cannot, you can't make a, how do you make a 10 year investment plan in a world where you don't know what the inflation rate is going to be, um, you know, 5%, 50%, you know, those things can dramatically affect how you write contracts, leases, mortgages, insurance mm -hmm. policies, anything that has a, a time component, it's almost impossible. So, so what happens when you have inflation is everybody's time horizons get really short. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, to run a functioning economy, we need longer time horizons because many times investment plans take, you know, decades to play out. But if you know, we'll, inflation will force our our our, our decision horizon, to use All a right. business school term, uh, you know, to a to a shorter time period, and and there's a big cost that you pay when when you do that. Is another thing that we'll have to see going forward is is whether we get international trade restored or not, and particularly, I mean, I guess there wasn't as many. Uh, restrictions on trade per se for the uh, pandemic as much as tr travel restrictions, but at, at some level, you, 
it, it seems like it's going to be hard to per, you know, keep uh, global supply chains going without a return to normalcy in, in, in travel. And you know, we'll have to see going forward if, if uh, we, we really do get back to where we were with the international travel. Yeah, so both travel, uh, travel I think is coming back, but trade, uh, you know, I think we're seeing some elements of trade wars. I mean, the U.S. and China trade wars are right. uh, concerned. Uh, and whether or not that's going to spread, uh, you know, we, we, we have trade, you know, the, the war in Russia, of course, is also mm -hmm. creating trade, uh, you know, policy changes, and maybe for good reason. But so, yeah, no, I think we're in a, we're in a period of also increasing uncertainty in the trade regime. I mean, again, uh, if you're an import exporter, uh, this is a time of great uncertainty, not knowing what the public policy is going to be in terms of tariffs and quotas and uh, port policy, you know, restrictions that um, you see at ports. Uh, it's definitely a difficult time to do business. Yeah, and clearly, you know, you know, ports being disrupted as they have been periodically in, in different countries during the, the, the pandemic. Well, we've got just a little under a minute left. So any uh, sort of like big picture or takeaway thoughts you want to share with us? Oh, my. Well, you know, I, I try not to uh, prognosticate on, on the index, especially for the United States, my own country. But um, I guess a big thought, you know, I, I travel around the world and, and I'm kind of a free market economist like you, Dan. And it's easy to get pessimistic. It's easy to go, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, uh, you know, look at this inflation, look at this, uh, you know, the trade war with China, look at all these negative things. But I guess maybe it's my advanced age now. <laughs> uh, we've been through this before. You know, we, we've seen difficult times and we've gotten through them before. And I think that uh, shows like this one and maybe our index is play a small role in, in keeping optimism alive. Because I think at the end of the day, freer markets is how we're going to become more prosperous and live better lives. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us about this. And thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.